Very good. Isaiah 41 in your Bibles, and we're going to read the same pattern of verses to open this week that we read last week. Give a quick introduction, a quick update uh, for those that weren't here, a quick uh, catch-up on what we covered last week, and then we'll finish out our Bible study. Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 41, we'll look at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to 21, and then we'll skip down to verses 28 and 29. The Bible says, Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. God is calling someone in to his courtroom to be judged. Well, who's he calling in? Let's keep reading verse 2. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him... Uh, to rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as, uh, and as driven stubble to his bow. Who did that? The Lord did that. Look at verse 21. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Wow, he is really challenging someone. Who is this? Look at 28 and 29. For I beheld and there was no man even among them. And there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word, because they are all vanity, their works are nothing, their molten images are wind and confusion. God is calling in here the idols, the false idols that people bow down and worship. He's calling them into court and He's saying, all right, testify and tell me what you can do because here is what I'm able to do. And so... In the middle of the chapter, we'll get into uh, these verses that describe our title to our Bible study. Here it is. God is greater than our fears. God is greater than our fears. Let's pray tonight. God, thank you for bringing us together in church. Thank you, Lord, that there is no power or force in the universe greater than you. Uh, Lord, you scoff, you mock, you make fun of any uh, force uh, that is contrary to you, Lord, you can thump it away uh, like a flea, uh, Lord, that lands on, on the arm of a man. And God, there is no problem too great uh, for you. There is no uh, fear that we have that you can't settle and overcome. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Thank you for this passage of Scripture tonight. Teach us from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Look back at verse 1 with me. Verse 1, keep silence before me, O islands. And the islands represents the furthest most area of the earth where people would live. Uh, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Uh, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. In this chapter, God is calling into the courtroom the false idols that man worships as well as the men who worship them. In chapter 40, the prophet made the case for why God is greater than the universe. We, we saw how uh, Isaiah 40 says he meets out the, the waters with the palm of his hand. He can hold all the water of the world in the palm of his hand. We saw how that he measures the universe with a span. Just like that, he reaches down and measures the universe. Um, uh, in chapter 41, God is not just showing us that he's greater than our circumstances, but that he's greater than the idols that people turn to when they are afraid. What idols do people turn to 
when they are afraid. I said last week by way of introduction that in the Old Testament, people bow down to Baal, or many refer to him as Baal, or Asheroth. These little stones, right? And, and, and Dagon, right? Some of them were very large. And you go into the temple, and there it was. You remember the story where the Ark of the Covenant was put there in the temple of Dagon, and it came in the next morning, and it had fallen over on its face, and they propped it up, and it fell back over on its face. Jehovah God is greater than the idols, right? And, and here, uh, uh, the Bible's telling us that you should not turn to idols when you're afraid. Now, in our Western culture, we don't, uh, most of us, at least to go to evangelical church, we don't bow down to a piece of stone. We don't bow down to a rock or a golden image, but yet we can still bow down to the same spirits and the same powers that were behind those gods. They're still present in our world today, and people do worship these false gods. You say, I don't worship a false god, and I would just ask you a question. What do you do when life gets hard? What do you turn to when life gets hard? Some people turn to food, and they binge eat their way through problems, right? They think they can just drown their sorrows in ice cream, right? Um, I remember my dad used to, when I was a little boy, he's much better behaved now. When I was a little boy, he'd get the jar of peanut butter out, and he'd get the spoon and just sit there and eat right out of the peanut butter jar. So how many of you here have ever done that? Raise your hand. Be honest. All right. Okay. I've never done that. All right. Because I just thought that was horrible. All right. Um, but I just sit there in awe that he could eat that much peanut butter at once. But I have sat there with a tub of ice cream and done the same thing. Okay. So I'm not throwing stones because I've done something similar. Some people think they can drown their sorrows in the in- in- entertainment industry. They turn to the God of pleasure, of pleasure. Other people turn to the God of immoral, loose sexual behavior. And uh, they're running from their problems. Other people turn to alcohol. Other people turn to some sort of drug they put in their body. Some people will drown their sorrows, and this is a 21st century thing, they'll drown their sorrows in social media. And they're having a hard day, and so they pull up that phone, and they try to get that perfect post out there so they can get as many likes as possible, get all those dopamine hits, and feel really, really good about themselves. But what are we doing? We're not turning to God in our problems. We're turning to these other forces in the universe that are not healthy for us. And God is saying, in essence, hey, bring all of those things that you worship in place of me. Bring them into my courtroom because I am going to challenge them. I am going to stand and and bring them on. And we're going to go head to head. And I'm going to put my credentials as God up against the credentials of the false idols that you worship. And then you tell me who you should be worshiping, where you should go when you are afraid. Afraid. Now look down at verse 6 through 8 with me. The Bible says, They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage. Okay, so here the people are afraid. What are they turning to? They're turning to idols. Look at verse 7. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with a hammer, him that smootheth the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering, and he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. So, uh, uh, where are you going to turn? Are you going to turn to the Lord, who is Abraham's friend? Or are you going to turn to some uh, idol and worship that? So, we said last week, this chapter contains two overarching themes, okay? And I gave them out as this. Uh, God comforts Israel by promising future deliverance. And we said that he, God gives details about the deliverance 
and challenges false gods to try to do the same. So just again, a quick recap. Isaiah writes this before Babylon is even a great country. This is written well uh, in excess of a hundred years uh, before Israel would ever be in captivity. In fact, a good 170 years plus. So Isaiah knows that Babylon, this little tiny country, is going to become a great country and come in and take away Israel captive. But he also knows that after they have served some time in captivity, God is going to give them freedom and God is going to do it through a particular political force through another country, and he's even going to give us in a later chapter the name of the man 170 years later that will lead them out of captivity. And God is flexing here. God is standing and flexing his arms, and he's saying, I know the future. Can you false idols do what I can do? And so while he is flexing, he is also giving the Israelites, while they are in captivity, a prophecy to read that will comfort them. All right, let's jump in here and review our points. We said, number one, we looked at the prophecy of Cyrus. The prophecy of Cyrus. Look at verse number two with me. Isaiah 41, look at verse two. The Bible says, Who raised up the righteous man from the east? Called him to his foot. Gave the nations before him, this is speaking of Cyrus, king of Persia, and made him rule over kings. Who gave them as the dust to his sword and as a driven stubble to his bow. In just a couple of chapters, Cyrus' is going to be, uh, name is going to be put out there. But this is the first vague reference to Cyrus. We looked at uh, chapter 44, verse 28, and we saw Cyrus described as a shepherd. Um, let's see here. We looked at uh, uh, chapter 45 and verse 1, and we saw Cyrus described as the anointed. We looked at chapter 46 and verse 11, and we saw Cyrus described as a ravenous bird. All right, this was all last week. If that interests you, you can go back and listen to last week's um, message. I believe it's on YouTube. Letter, so letter A, we saw um, Cyrus selected. Letter B, we see Israel's security. Israel's security. Look at verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. I am He. And so Israel's security, God is the one that is going to lead Israel out of captivity and to a place of great comfort, to a place of rest. Then we saw letter C, the heathen's surety. The heathen's Surety, look with me at verse 5, 6, and 7 again. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. It drew near and came. They helped every one his neighbor, and every one said to his brother, Be of good courage. We already read this. Look back at verse 7. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smoothed with the hammer him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering, and he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. So they're building an idol because for the heathen, for the lost, when life gets tough, they don't turn to God. They turn to an idol. They turn to something material. They turn to something they can put their hands on. And Christians are called to turn to the immaterial. They're, turned to, they're called to turn to the God of heaven and worship Him. And, and, and we can't hold God in our hands. We can't sit Him down and have a conversation face to face. We know He's there. God is a spirit and uh, we know He's there. But uh, listen, these folks wanted something to put their hands on and say, this idol right here is who we're going to worship as things get tough. So the heathen's surety, letter D, we see God's servants. Look at verse 8 
and 9. Verse 8 and 9 of Isaiah 41. The Bible says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Uh, thou, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and, uh, uh, let's see, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, my servant. I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. So, when we're under the punishing hand of God, it can be easy to think that maybe God's forgotten about us. Right? You think, oh man, my life is so hard. I lost my job. Right? My dog died. Not belittling that. If you're close to a dog, <laughs> that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, you go through a hardship of some sort, and you think, well, maybe God's just forgotten about me. All right. Time out. Back up. Did God forget about you, or is God trying to get your attention? Maybe we should consider another option here. Hey, the thought that God forgot about me is always a false thought. We looked at Psalm 139 on Sunday morning a couple weeks ago, and we saw that the thoughts that God has toward you individually are greater than the sands of the sea. They are innumerable. The Bible goes on in that passage to say, His thoughts toward you are precious. No, God did not forget about you. Strike that off the record. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe there is a refining work going on in your life. He's trying to make you better. Right? So, God's servants. Here Israel is in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. They're living under the Harsh hand of Nebuchadnezzar, who has taken and turned some of Israel's finest men into eunuchs, meaning they, now they can't have babies. He's taken and brought them from their motherland. He's burned down their temple. I mean, completely exploded it to where not one stone is left on the foundation. He's torn down their walls. He's only left uh, the riffraff behind. He's taken everything good out of Israel. And now Israel could be tempted to think, God has forgotten about them, but no, God has not forgotten about them. God is correcting them. God is getting their attention. He says, Israel, you are my servant, and when times are hard, you don't blame me, you trust me. When times are hard, you know I still have your best interest at heart. So we see, number one, number one, we see the, pro the prophecy of Cyrus. All right, Cyrus was going to come along at the end. He was going to conquer um, Nebuchadnezzar and then Darius and take over and then send Israel back. All right, let's look at number two. We see the promise to Israel. So God is going to make a series of promises to Israel in this passage that would indeed come to pass. Letter A, we see God promise strength and weakness. Strength and weakness. Quickly here, verse 10. Fear thou not. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What a beautiful poetic verse. Amen? When times get tough, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. Don't run around in a circle like a chicken with your head cut off. All right? That's a good analogy from the southeast where I grew up, right? Uh, don't, um, don't, uh, don't roll over in bed at night and, and uh, have your mind race. Don't pace the floor. Don't be dismayed. Don't fear. God is in charge. In your weakness, He's going to give you strength. 
But not only did he promise strength and weakness, he promised supremacy over the wicked. Look at verse number 11. Supremacy over the wicked. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Look down at 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying to thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 14, Jacob, or the nation of Israel, is compared to a worm. Verse 15, this worm grows teeth and devours their enemy. Look at 15. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thrust the mountains and beat them small, and shalt make the hills as chaff. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. Hey, he's saying, you're standing there, and the mountains of life seem really tall, and the hills seem insurmountable, and you can't climb them, and you can't overcome them. God says to Jacob here, he says, hold on, those metaphorical mountains, those hills that seem... uh, 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 unconquerable, he says, hang tight because I'm going to turn you like a worm with teeth. You're going to devour those problems. They're going to just be like chaff in the wind that blows away. I'm going to give you supremacy over the wicked. All those wicked enemies in the world, they're going to blow away as the chaff. They're going to be as nothing. We live in a world today where it is not popular to love Jesus. It is not popular to be a Christian. Uh, I get so bothered by the news. I just have to turn it off. I have to turn all of it off. All right? I have to turn off news on the right side of the aisle. I have to turn news off on the left side of the aisle. I have to turn news off that even is supposed at times to be Christian because I can see the devil at work in the background with the news. I just see it. And you know what I think? This is my opinion. All right? So take it for what it's worth. This isn't in the Bible. All right? This is uh, Pastor Lejeune's opinion. Second Opinions chapter 2 and verse number 3, okay? Here it is, ready? Okay, I think that the media is the mouthpiece of the devil. That's my opinion. I think Satan works through the media to get his message out there, and I think Christians that fixate on it are wasting their time. That's just my opinion. doesn't say that in the Bible. That's my opinion. I almost wrote it in the flyleaf of my Bible so I could say my Bible says, amen? Uh, but uh, uh, listen, uh, be careful. We know that the devil is the prince and power of this world. Here's what I want to say, though. One day, when Jesus rules from Jerusalem, all of the media that covers that press conference will be positive, and it will be popular to love Jesus. And the wicked of today's age in that era will be as nothing. Will be as nothing. Amen? Letter C, and this is where we cut it off last week. Fill in the blank here with me. Streams in the wilderness. Streams in the wilderness. You ever felt like either uh, financially or emotionally or spiritually that you were just in a very dry time of life? You didn't have any money or maybe your health wasn't there or maybe you had money and health but you were just depressed and lonely and afraid? Look at verse 17, and we get a description here of what that's like and how the Lord's going to step in and help. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, 
Do we turn to idols? No, we turn to the Lord. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Look here. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He's going to turn the wilderness into a, into a garden. Look at 19. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shitta tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together. Well, once you flood a desert with water and you put all these trees there, it's not a desert anymore. It's a garden. Here you are in the desert of life. And you think, boy, I'm just in a dry spell, right? Life is hard. God says that for His people, He's going to send streams of water into the wilderness. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Turn with me, if you would, over to, let's see, uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 35. Isaiah 35, and look at verse number 6. Just a few pages to the left there. Isaiah 35 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. There's that physical wilderness. And the tongue of the dumb, that's someone who can't speak, sing. For in the wilderness shall break out and streams in the desert. So see, this isn't just about, you know, a physical garden. I think it is talking about a physical garden, but it's not just talking about that. It's also talking about a, a metaphorical garden of people who have health problems. You say, well, pastor, but Isaiah is an Israeli book written to the Jews by a Jewish prophet. What's that have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse number 10. This prophecy about streams in the wilderness is not just for uh, Israel. It's for everybody. You see, because the ultimate stream in the wilderness is not about your health, physical health, or your emotional health. It's about your spiritual health and the salvation of your soul. Look at John 4. Here we find the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Verse number 10 and 11. All right, let's see. I'm going to get someone to read this for me. Mike Yankowski. You got John 4 there in your Bibles? In your Bible? Why don't you stand up for us and read 10 and 11? Thank you, Mike. Wow! What is this living water? How many of you here got saved after the age of 15? Would you raise your hand for me if you got saved after the age of 15? Okay. I got saved as a four-year-old boy, so I can't quite understand what I'm about to say to you. But I've talked to many folks like those of you that just raised your hand. I have talked to even some of you about this. My wife got saved, I think, at 18 or 19. And uh, for people who get saved, you know, in their teen years and later... Um, you know what it's like to have a hole in your soul that you just can't fill. And then you get saved, and all of a sudden, that thirst that couldn't be quenched, 
is permanently quenched because the Lord has taken away that thirst and salvation. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, all right? Listen, that's exactly what the Bible's talking about here. You were wandering through life without your purpose because we're made by God to worship God. And lo and behold, instead of turning to drugs or turning to uh, some sort of promiscuous lifestyle or turning to food or turning to pleasure, no, instead, you turn to the Lord and He gave you that water that quenched your soul in salvation. And you know what, for the Christian, we have to fall, not fall in the trap of going back to those things. I remember the Israelites walking through the wilderness, and they would say, Ah, we miss the leeks and the garlics in Egypt. And Yeah, you were slaves in Egypt. You had to build with bricks. You had the, the heat of the Egyptian day beating down on you and the whip of the uh, uh, cracking across your back. And uh, you, listen, the babies were thrown in the, in the river. You were killed. And you want to go back to that? Well, we missed the leeks and the garlics and we missed the, missed the steak and the lobster. Okay, all right, okay. I think maybe you're exaggerating a little bit how good you had it and forgetting about how bad you had it. You know, a lot of Christians do that. They look back at the fun they had before they got saved, and they think, oh man, I wish I could go back and do this. Uh, listen, you are wanting to go back to a desert that has no stream of water in it. I'm just thankful that uh, one day God saved my soul, and the stream of a relationship with Jesus Christ has been flowing on top of my life ever since. It is a great way to live. Amen? Amen? Smile if you agree. All right. Nobody frown on me here, okay? All right. Number three. Let's finish up the outline here. We've got about uh, 15, 20 minutes to go. The problem with idols. The problem with idols. So the question is, who do you turn to when life gets tough? That's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Do we turn to a pill bottle? Do we turn to a, a booze bottle? Do we, what's the phrase, Netflix and chill? Right? Do we call a family member on the phone and whine and complain about all our problems before we get on our knees and talk to the Lord? I've got a council, a board of counselors, if you will, pastor friends of mine that are older than me and much more experienced in life than me that when I get into a place I need some help, I call them. But not until I've talked to the Lord about it first. You with me tonight? Did you know you can make a preacher an idol? Did you know you can make a therapist an idol? Did you know that you can make a prescription drug to suppress your feelings an idol? I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with these. But I am saying when you trust these before going to the Lord... You've now, you're now leaning on an idol instead of leaning on the Lord. Letter A, we see their court date. The court date. Before, I give, before we read the verses here, I just want to say, David said in Psalm 56, What time I am afraid, I will go to the bar and get a drink. Is that what he said? What time I am afraid, I will call my best friend and have them call me down. That's not what he said, is it? What time I am afraid, say it with me. 
I will trust in thee. I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Is that really our response? Am I hitting us where we're living tonight? I'm hitting me where I live. Okay, I need to be reminded of this. Their court date. Look at verse 1. Keep silence before me, O islands. Let the people renew their strength. Let them come near and let them now speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Look at 21. Look at verse 21. Alright, here God is speaking to the idols. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods, yea, uh, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. He's saying here, hey, listen, just do something. And when I read this passage, I thought about the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Is it caramel or caramel? It's caramel, right? How many vote caramel? Anybody here? Okay, we got a caramel vote. That's candy, all right? But some people don't say, anyway, I'm getting off track. Uh, Mount Carmel, all right? And so here you have Elijah on Mount Carmel. Remember, he's right outside of Samaria. And King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, uh, her 400 um, uh, false prophets, they're there. And I think there's another 450 false prophets of another God there. And so you got all these prophets up there. And Elijah is all by himself. And they have an old-fashioned Western duel but not with guns, with, with altars, right? So they build these altars, and they put a bullock up there, and uh, they're going to call down fire from heaven. And uh, all day, these guys are walking around, they're doing their little, uh, their little dance, and they're calling, trying to call down fire. And then they start jumping up and down on top of the idol, and they start cutting their arms open, and Elijah start, starts to mock them. He says, uh, he says call, call out to your God a little louder. Maybe he's asleep, right? Hey, maybe he went on vacation. <laughs> He's just mocking these guys. And then uh, it's his turn, and he prays a prayer. I don't remember how many words it is. If I was a good preacher, I would know exactly how many words the prayer was. But I forgot, all right? Brother Kyle, do you know how many words that prayer was? Yeah, it was more than 12 words. It shows what you know. So, Amen. Um, I like to pick on Brother Kyle here. Yeah, but um, praise a prayer, short prayer, and um, fire falls from heaven and does not just devour the sacrifice, but devours the stones and all the water that had been poured on top of it. Those things that you turn to, here's what I want you to hear me say, compared to God, they are nothing. But in our flesh, we want to turn to them anyway. Letter B, their candid description. Their candid description. Look down with me at verse 24. God says to these idols, you can't do good or evil because you're an inanimate object. Really, you can do nothing. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. Wow. Look at 29. Behold, they are all emptiness, vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. 
1 Corinthians 14.33 reminds us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And so, just confusion. You're turning to these idols. Again, I know that in Isaiah's day, it was an actual figurine, right, of wood and gold and stone or whatever they were bowing down to. In our time, the Bible tells us that covetousness is idolatry. That's what the Bible tells us in Galatians. I believe it's Galatians. Now, hear me out. You're, you're turning to a, I'll use, the, I'll use the buzz term, coping mechanism. You're turning to a coping mechanism to get you to, through a hard time that is nothing compared to God. The Bible says it's wind and confusion. Wind and confusion. Well, what's going to happen one day to these idols? Look at verse 25. We see their complete destruction. Look at verse 25. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. This is speaking of Cyrus. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say, He is righteous? Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them. And I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them. And there was no counselor. The one I asked of them could answer a word. Why? They're destroyed. These idols are gone. When they stand up against God, what do we know about God? He is a consuming fire. And He will burn up all of those things that are not true. They're complete destruction. And so I ask you a question tonight. When life is hard and you're afraid, Where do you go? Who do you turn to? Who do you call? What do you do? You got some doctor on speed dial? You got some friend that you pour your salt out to? You got some sleep aid? Those things are nothing compared to your God. Over the last six years, I've gotten a lot of pushback from a lot of people for preaching this way. And I understand why. I, I, I do. I've had many people sit in my office and go back and forth with me on this. I just want to share my heart right here. I hope you listen to me. We have a medical world that tells us that there are some disorders that only a pill can fix. But I have a Bible that says this, that God promises to give us a peace that passes all understanding. I have a Bible that says, Thou shalt, Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I have a Bible that says in Matthew 10, 
Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy burdened, and I will, I will, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I have a Bible that says in Galatians 5 that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I have a Bible in Hebrews 3 and 4 that promises rest for those that believe and promises unrest for those who are living in unbelief. And so could it be that your emotional battle is not solved by a pill, but your emotional battle and lack of rest and lack of peace is solved by a stronger faith in God. You're saying, Pastor, are you saying a pill is never, ever okay? I'm saying this. If you have a medical problem and you have a spiritual problem, you need to fix your spiritual problem before you look at your medical problem. You get your heart right with the Lord, and then you can turn and look at what the medical world has to offer. But I know this from my hours of research on this topic, hours of research, The medical world is just as lost on this as you and I are. They have not found a medicine that has been clinically proven to solve depression. They haven't. Not one in clinical trials has passed. In fact, if you go look into it, it's blowing up the psychological world. The chemical imbalance theory has been proven false. Been proven false. It's not even true. I just think Christians need to turn to the Lord instead of running to idols when life gets tough. And we learn to fall on our face and bear our soul to God in prayer. And watch God do some incredible things. Because God is greater than our fears. And He will take our fears away. And He will give us rest and peace no matter how hard it is. Amen? All right. That's the end of the Bible study tonight. Finishing up early. That's a rarity around here. That doesn't happen very often. So let's enjoy it. Let's stand together.